grateful that you're here today to be with us to worship Jesus as he is worthy of that worship. My name is Jeff, one of the elders here at the church, and uh, I'm grateful that, uh, yeah, again, you've come to, to be with us today. We are continuing on in our series through the book of Acts, and we are in our third week of chapter 10, so if you would please go ahead and turn there to Acts chapter 10, more specifically verses 23 through 33. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you feel free to use one of the Bibles in front of you. The, uh, the page number there will be 864. And while you're doing that, I want to remind you of the Connect cards. Those Connect cards are there for members, regular attenders, and visitors to fill out. We would love for everyone to do so because they really are a helpful way for the staff and elders to know how we might be able to pray for you or, honestly, if we can be of service to you. So please help us out, participate in that way. You can drop them in one of the three boxes that are here, there's two by the windows that are white, and then there's one that's black over by the resource wall. Uh, again, they're just a helpful way for us to really know you as we want you to, to, to know us as well. Uh, our tradition here at Maranatha is to stand at the reading of God's word out of reverence of him. So if you would, and if you're able, please stand with us while Hobie Bond reads Acts chapter 10, verses 23 through 33. The next day, he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for our, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat, and I'll pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can come and hear from you on a daily basis. Uh, I pray today that as you do speak to us and that you do uh, bring about this, this truth from the text, I pray that we can sense your presence. I pray that we can sense the fact that of your care, of how you individually uh, mold us and shape us, but as you are preparing us to be your people. Help us, Lord, today to be challenged as we will be, and help us to honor you and glorify you in the life that we've been given. I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you that you've made us your church. It's you we trust in. It's you we love. We pray these things in the name of your Son, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Last week, uh, as we've been continuing on through chapter 10, last week uh, we ended with Peter, if you remember the narrative, welcoming in these Gentiles into the home in which he was staying. He was welcoming in these people. And we also learned that these men who were sent by the Holy Spirit had been sent for him. Right? If you remember the context of this reality of this very religious Orthodox Jew welcoming in these Gentiles and what they would do to him religiously, there'd be a lot of difficulty. But we learned that these men had been sent by God or by the Holy Spirit for him. And as you think about that idea, that idea honestly becomes more interesting the longer you think about it. Because yes, according to this narrative, God did command Cornelius to send for Peter so that Peter would come to Caesarea and share something of great importance with Cornelius along with, as we will learn, his family and friends. Therefore, we could say that the Spirit's call to Peter was for Cornelius and all the people in his household. But also, what was done by the Spirit in Peter in order to prepare him to go to Cornelius was a necessary work. There was a necessary work that Peter had to have sort of pressed upon him and within him uh, in this way. Therefore, this entire moment was also a great gift and blessing for Peter. It was for Cornelius and for Peter. As like us, Peter was continually being transformed into the likeness of God's Son. This is the, the opportunity that we see that the Spirit is working in both situations for both people. Now, as we get going here, let me quickly catch us up to where we are in this moment, in the moment that we find ourselves at this point in chapter 10. Just here in chapter 10, it really kind of gets stretched out over a couple days. And on day one, back at the beginning of chapter 10, in verse 1 and 1 through 8, Cornelius had received this message from God, but it was brought to him by an angel. And then on day two, Cornelius' men they arrive in Joppa somewhere around midday while Peter was praying. Right As they traveled, Peter was praying, Peter was being prepared, and he received this vision from God himself. And then on day three, where we currently are in the text, Peter goes with these men back to Caesarea to eventually, on day four, arrive at Cornelius' house in order to share with him this vital and eternal truth that he does. Now, all of this these sort of length of time, these length of days, all of this gave Cornelius ample time to tell his story, right? to tell the story of an angel. Now, if an angel showed up in your house, do you think you'd share that news? Likely, right? You're all looking at me thinking about an angel showing up in your house. Yes, you would share that news. Well, it gave him time to tell the story, to tell people that an angel has just shown up and he gathers people together, his family and friends. So it gave him time to do that while they traveled back as well to help prepare for what he believed God might have next. Look at verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. Now, I've shared this before about myself, um, but I oftentimes think in pictures, all right? And that might be normal for some, but I think in pictures. So when I pray and I'm doing so, I'm imagining the face of the person that I'm praying for. 
when I'm trying to work through some sort of difficulty or, or work out some trouble, I'm often uh, working through the activities. When I'm daydreaming about going on vacation, I'm, I'm sort of pursuing those fun things that are going to hopefully be on the, on the agenda. But I, I watch these things play out, I use my imagination. So it's helpful for me to use that same imagination to try and understand historical moments like what we're talking about to try and understand what's actually going on. So let me sort of, let me be allowed to paint for you really sort of what's going on in my mind. Let me, let me paint for you this interaction that's happening. Now, I don't have any historical context for this because, again, this is just my imagination. But in my mind, I see this house sort of set off in the back of this small prairie with this with this slightly sort of dirt road winding around these little hills that are sprinkled across the property. And this home obviously belongs to Cornelius, right? And as the people in this house begin to peek out the window of this house, which belongs to Cornelius, they begin to see this small crowd of people turn the corner, again, on that road that goes around the sprinkled mounds that are across the prairie, coming this way. And as they peek out and as they begin to get closer and closer, Cornelius is now able to count the amount of people that are in this small crowd. So then soon he's actually even able to make out who the people are. He's able to see the two servants that he sent out and the fellow soldier that he sent out to go and retrieve Peter. But then he notices also that there are seven other men with them, seven men he doesn't know. And we know that it was seven men because later on in Chapter 11, Peter tells the Jerusalem council that six other brothers accompanied him to go and meet with these Gentiles. A wise and, and not a clever thing because uh, there was ample amount of people to attest to the, the reality of this circumstance. And as they approach, as Peter for the first time comes up to Cornelius, they meet. This is the moment where these two men finally meet for the first time and Peter sees Cornelius. Now Cornelius, as some might say, was a man's man, right? I imagine him sort of 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, this big, broad individual, right? He was a career soldier. Therefore, because of his learned experience, because of his earned position and status as a centurion, we would expect that this man, that he had earned... And he had the attention and respect of his men. As well, it seems that we are to believe, that we were really sort of led to believe that Cornelius had a, a loving heart, a very large heart. So he wasn't just the man's man. He wasn't just this sort of statue of an individual. He also had a large heart. And we can believe that because he is shown to be this man who so desperately desired to hear and know the truth, but not just for himself, but also for his family and his friends. Quick side note here, as I read, um, it was quite fascinating to learn how often in Scripture the Roman centurions were spoken of really positively. Right? We have this sort of imagery of these Roman centurions, and, but honestly, they're shown to be very understanding of the moment that they find themselves in. Many times they are uh, these stern soldiers who held this very strong positional authority. So often they are shown to actually be seen in a, in a very positive light. Despite their position and role, in Matthew 8.10, Jesus said of a centurion, Truly I tell you, 
With no one in Israel have I found such faith. Incredible. It was, it was actually a centurion who was quoted crying out at the cross when Jesus died in Matthew 27, 54. Truly, this was the Son of God. He was there and he recognized the truth. It was a centurion who properly chose to listen to Paul, as we'll learn later on in Acts 27, uh, to spare people's lives rather than to kill the prisoners in an attempt to acquire their own potential safety during this shipwreck. Now, we know that some, if not many, of those who represented Rome, that they did and, and really did do all kind of evil things. But why do you think these men received such good press as they did? Why do you think that they were shown in this kind of light as the Scripture talks about them, right? I, uh, to be honest, oftentimes when I read the Gospels, I villainize the Pharisees. I, I villainize the, the, the Romans, especially the Roman centurions, as they're carrying out these, these, uh, these commands. Could it be that they were shown in this good light because it was these men who, like Peter, were moved who were transformed and changed over time? Could it have been that by what they had seen, what the, by what they were watching to be the truth as they were actually present and around these workings of the Lord instead of remaining far off, making these cold decisions with inadequate information, maybe they were eventually saved. Maybe they were saved because they were consistently placed face to face with what was eternal truth and they couldn't get away from it, forcing them to consider the realities of their own inadequacies and their own need for transformation and peace which their heart desired. That's like all of us. I bring all this up because we don't know who the Lord is ready to regenerate. I'm speaking about these Roman centurions, because we don't have the categories or the ability to know whom the Lord is going to regenerate. It's actually not even our job to know. It's not our job to try and choose who this is for. Our job, rather, is to live obediently to the truth in order to be faithful testimonies of the truth so that we have the opportunities to witness about the truth. Let me say that again. Our job is to live obediently to the truth in order to be faithfully, faithful testimonies of the truth so that we have the opportunities to witness about the truth. We are to be like Peter. We are to be like Peter. And honestly, we can also see that there's a lot that we can learn from Cornelius as well. Let me go back to our story. Again, Cornelius, this man's man, respected, Followed, a leader of this military arm that belonged and operated at times as an oppressive force, that man steps up and steps forward at Peter. He goes to Peter. He comes at Peter and in front of his entire family as well as his friends and the men who knew him as that resolute soldier that he was in front of everyone, he falls at the feet of Peter. falls at the feet of Peter as a way of honor and worship. Now, this could have been Peter's moment, right? Could have been his moment. Think about it. 
it was likely that no one had ever treated Peter like this in his entire life. He'd never been treated this way. Remember, Peter, before Jesus called him to be a disciple, Peter was a simple fisherman. He worked day in and day out just collecting the fish for his family so they could survive. As well in Jerusalem, the response to his faith in Jesus, his right faith in Jesus, wasn't met with fanfare. Rather, he was arrested. He was thrown in jail. He was likely shunned by the Jewish people whom he loved. The people that he loved who didn't know Jesus as the Christ like he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Peter could have just received that worship because it would have felt good. He could have just taken it in and received that worship because it would have felt good. Sadly, it feels good to be worshipped. He could have stood tall and chose to remain again, sort of like Cornelius. He could have remained resolute in his prejudices. After all, this man was a Jew, right? And he was, or rather, this man was a Gentile, and Peter was a Jew. In fact, Peter was Christ's apostle, but this was just a man. Of course, these unchosen people should bow down to God's chosen people. But that's not what Peter did. Peter did not allow this mistaken worship to go on at all. He didn't allow it. Remember, Peter had been changed. There's been so many things prior to this that had changed and transformed Peter's heart. Instead, he bends over. He opens his hand and he reaches down to Cornelius and he brings him up to his level and he says, stand up. I too am a man. And then they spoke with each other. They spoke with each other as if they were friends. They just shared a conversation. Doesn't that seem a bit too normal? (laughs) These two men and everything that has come along, doesn't it just seem a bit too normal? After this incredible buildup, this wild and incredible buildup of these two men coming together, this reality of, of an apostle and, and, and the speaking and the power and the miracles of the Holy Spirit and all these things that have needed to transpire in order to bring these two individuals together. They're coming together at this moment of their meeting. What they do is they just calmly and kindly speak with one another. For my point of view, or at least in my imagination, this interaction is strangely casual. It just feels casual. Really what it looks like from my imagination is this is just two longtime friends who haven't had the chance to be with one another, and they're finally back together, and they're just carrying on. But we know that's not the case. Right? We have the whole story. We understand the difficulty and the strife that has continued on for so long. We know that this is not the case. Instead, what was happening was maybe unable to be seen. What was actually happening was the palatable tension of two worlds not colliding but intertwining. 
The incredible miracle of two worlds coming together, weaving together. And I believe this moment, if you would have been there, would have felt electric. Again, this palpable tension, it would have been electric, but at the same time, because of the power of the Holy Spirit and what he brings, there would have been an almost eerie calm among the men, among everyone. It would have been electric, but it would have been this incredible, just otherworldly peace, which we can only possess through Jesus and not this world. It's what he provides, not this world. The spiritual gift of humility was in the air and on these men because both of these men chose to let go of their status in order to receive the other person for who they were, which was an image bearer of God. Both of these men had an opportunity to stand resolute in their prejudices and who they were, but instead they chose to humbly receive the other as who they actually were, image bearers of God. Look at verse 28. And he, that being Peter, and Peter said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. And we learned last week, that this was the meaning of the vision that Peter received, right? This is the vision that Peter saw while he prayed on the rooftop back in Joppa. He learned from that parable about clean and unclean foods that he must not take the position that some people are uncommon or unclean. He must not take that position. Yes, yes, we all fall short of the glory of God. Yes, we are all once enemies of God. Yes, we are all at one time living in the passions of our flesh. Therefore, we all have at one time been identified as children of wrath. But from our human perspective, no one is outside of the potential blessing of being made an heir of the eternal promise that was given to Abraham and accomplished by Jesus, who is the Christ. No one. From our human perspective, that is not our job. From our human perspective, everyone is a potential holder of that blessing. And listen, there is no such thing as relative truth. As we approach this and we talk about salvation, there is no such thing as relative truth. By definition, truth is singular. Therefore, you cannot say that I can believe this and that you can believe that without recognizing that you are denying your own statement. You cannot say that both are true without denying your own claim. There's no such thing, rather there is no such thing as relative truth. It must be singular. Therefore, it's also true that there is only one way to God. It is not many roads to the same God. Truth is singular. Therefore, there is only one God and only he possesses what is eternal truth because he alone is the one who created all things. Scripture tells us, and we've said this so many times, that God is the only one who has created all things. Therefore, he is the only one who has authority over all things, which means he is the only one who gets to determine all things. And we must submit to that. It's also why you cannot, in fact, you do not stand above him in any way or capacity. You do not stand above him in any way or capacity. 
And we all, every created being, every single person, this is not a suggestion, it is a command that we must yield ourselves to his desires and design. We must yield ourselves to him. We must follow through with the things that we know are right. Thankfully, we have been prepared by God like Cornelius. Maybe an angel didn't come visit you in your home, but we're all being prepared by God. And we've all been given an eternal message. We have a message already that we have received. It is the Bible. It is God's word. It is the revelation in Jesus Christ by the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone has the Bible at your fingertips. You cannot say that you don't have the means to understand this truth And it is what leads us in every way for this life and the next. It is what we've been given, like Cornelius and Peter. Now, there's so many ways that we are the same as Cornelius, but there are others that we are different. There are ways that we are like him, and there are ways that we are different. We are the same in the way that some of us need to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ for the first time. Maybe you've heard it time and time and time again, but now is the time to respond to the good news. What are you waiting for? What more must you hear other than Jesus Christ's infinite righteousness can wash away your sin and you need him because you are a sinner in need of a savior. And we are different in the way that for others, we must be obedient to what we already know to be the truth in what the Bible commands us to do. What are you waiting for? I mentioned this at the earlier gathering, but we're going to have baptisms hopefully next week. And for some of you, you haven't been baptized. You haven't followed through with the obedient call. What are you waiting for? Do you not believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you not believe that his word is perfect and eternally true? What are you waiting for? The baptism goes over there. That's why I'm pointing. We are the same in the way that we must humble ourselves to what is true, regardless of what our cultural preferences or what we might feel is simply where we are or who we are. We must humbly submit ourselves to this. We must humble ourselves under Christ and follow what is true. We are different in the way that we already have a community of people, right? Cornelius is developing this. The Gentiles, for the first time, are getting to hear this good news, but we are different in that we already have a community of people all around us already who already believe and are willing to walk through your mess with you because, surprise, we need you to walk with us through our mess. Nobody in here is different in that way. What is true of Peter and Cornelius is just as true about us. God prepared Peter with the truth. God prepared Cornelius and the other people with the truth. And God has and continues to prepare us and transform us with the truth. And guess what? It's been the Holy Spirit from the beginning who has been in control of it all. It has been God the entire time who has been in control of it all. Next week... As we continue on in chapter 10, Peter's going to share this good news with Cornelius. He's going to share it with really everyone else that Cornelius has brought together to hear what God is going to say. First, he introduces Jesus to the people. 
right? They're Gentiles. They may not know of all that's going on. He then goes over the entirety of the gospel. He talks about Christ's life, talks about his death, his resurrection, his inevitable return as judge, as well as his free offer of salvation. I hope that you are excited about that as I am. I hope that you will bring people, friends, family, neighbors, the barista that you get coffee from, the person you ran into the gas station, I hope you bring people next week to hear the gospel. I hope that you will come to hear it and learn it so that you can preach the gospel. I hope that you're as excited about this as I am. I hope that you're excited about the gospel as much as I am. I believe that you are. But let me end with this. Let me finish with a quote from a man named Warren Weirdsby, who's a uh, commentator, pastor, writer. He wrote this. He said, the seeking Savior will find the seeking sinner. Wherever there is a searching heart, God responds. This is why it is essential that we as God's children obey his will and share his word. You never know when your witness for Christ is exactly what somebody has been waiting and praying for. Romans 10, 14, and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Aaron Arthur, we are the same in the fact that according to God, 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race. Maranatha, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You belong to God for the purpose that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That is the glorious news of the gospel, the gospel of salvation, the gospel of eternal life with our King of kings, Lord of lords. I hope you're as excited about it as I am, but I'm going to tell you, I hope it also overwhelms you as it does me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you, Lord, that we have your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have rescued us. We thank you, Lord, that you lead us and guide us even when we don't respond well to your love. Help us, Lord, to be light, help us to proclaim the excellencies of your son. Help us to carry the honor of being heirs according to the promise rightly, even through repentance when necessary. Lord, we trust you and we love you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.